You're listening to Rare Gems with Jen. Listen as she discovers and connects with folks from all walks of life. Join her as she explores personal stories, connects on shared struggles, and of course, inserts her inappropriate jokes. Be ready to shine a light on some rare gems that will inspire, challenge, and even intimidate you. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Pluma. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Rare Gems. I am your host, Jennifer Pluma. And it's a morning, it's an early morning for me today. So it's taken me a, while, a little while to wake up. Um, hold on. Oh my God. I just needed to take a little sip of my coffee this morning um, while I have my oatmeal cooling down. I am usually a morning person, but that's only if I go to the gym. And if I don't go to the gym, I feel like fucking shit. <laughs> that's the only way I can I can explain it, honestly. It's just my body's not used to sleeping in it. Sleeping in, so I just feel so groggy. It's like whenever you take a nap in the middle of the night. I don't know about you all, but I am not a big nap person. I wasn't until I met Jess. Prior to Jess, even then, I don't take that many naps still. Um, but prior to Jess, I would take a nap and I'd wake up fucking pissed. Oh my god, I hated taking naps because I I don't know what it is. I guess you get into I read it I read about it once. I think you get into that um cycle, your REM cycle, and then whenever you wake up, it's like you're in the middle of it or you're about to get into it and you're like, fuck, I can't get into this. So I'm not a big nap person. And if I do, I have to time it. Literally, I'd put a timer for like 30 minutes, 20 minutes, and I'd be like, good, I'm good to go. But if I take you more than more than 45 minutes to like two hours, I, I yeah, I'd wake up all pissed. Anyways, <laughs> I just went into a whole rant about sleeping, waking up, napping. Some of you might be new to my podcast. Um, so welcome to Rare Gems. And um, I'd like to do, I guess, do a little quick reintro of myself, my podcast, and then definitely let you all know who the guest for today is. So I started, where those of you that are just tuning in for the first time, my name is Jennifer Pluma. Some people call me Jen, which is why it's Rare Gems with Jen. Um, and I started this podcast in 2020, 2021, so last year. <laughs> And I started it because I was in the moment of transition in my life. Um, I had just quit my job and I didn't know what I was going to do next. It was in April where I was like, I, what the fuck? honestly, like it's going to be about a, a year where I was again in that moment where I didn't know what was going to happen in my life. Um, I had a month off. I was in between jobs. I was working at a bakery. Then I was helping my mom. Then I was going to the gym. And then I was just like, again, in between. I didn't know what was going to happen next. And I connected with a friend, actually a coworker, former co worker. And his wife is a podcaster. And I was just like, oh, I've always wanted to be a podcaster. And I just asked her questions like, how did you start? How did you do it? And at the end of our conversation, essentially, all she said was just like, do it. I can give you other tips. I can give you other tricks. I can give you, <clears throat> you know, my person here, my my person there, who I used here, who I used there. I can give you everything. 
They can give you all the tools, but it doesn't matter until you start. And that really hit home for me. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to start. And that's that drove the fire in me. Um, and that's when I started. And I was like, I got to do it. And I started recording content. And I started. I It's so easy to focus on, you know, the small things of like the website and the microphone. And I have to have the perfect headphones. In the and I was like, no, no. And I'm very much like that. I need to have everything perfectly before I started. And I'm like, no. And come on. No. no. <laughs> oh my God. Anyways, and so about a month in, a month and a a month and a half later. Hold on. January, February, March. No, January, February, March, April, May. Well, in May, May 19, that's when I released my first episode. Um, which I'm very proud of. By the way, if you haven't listened to that first episode, definitely go back and listen to that first episode after you're done listening to this episode. I love that episode. And we're here. I am now employed. I am full-time employed. And then I do my podcasting on the side. This is something that I love to do and I want to continue doing it, even though it can be hard with life and partners and dogs and family. So all that to say, my friends, that if you have something that you've been wanting to try, just do it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just fucking do it. That's it. And then insert a Nike logo in here. Just do it. (laughs) All right. Well, today's guest, I'm excited because I feel like I have a, well, I'm not going to say a professional because I've had professionals before, but I have a doctor. So today's guest is Dr. Cindy Defashi. She is a wife. She is a mother. She is a family medicine physician who recently opened a direct primary care clinic in Pasadena, Texas. So if you live in that area, definitely hit her up. Um, and the family practice is called Archway Family Medicine. So in our episode, we get to connect on just about everything. Honestly, <laughs> I love for Grey's Anatomy. And if you know me, I love Grey's Anatomy. I've seen every episode of it. Um, I got to ask a doctor who's gone through like residency and all that stuff. And we talk more about that in the episode. Um, like what are the things that they're saying in that show true or not? Um, but aside from that, I think the biggest chunk of our episode, which I really want you all to focus and take away from this is that we talked about direct primary care, which is called DCP um, and what it means. And honestly, I didn't not, I didn't know anything about this. So Direct primary care, it's kind of like a a payment plan, a payment subscription. Um, and I'll explain to you in my words, and then you can listen to it on the episode just so you can hear more of the way Cindy explains it to us. Um, and direct primary care, it's like exactly what it is. You have direct contact with your doctor with your physician, right? And you are paying like a monthly fee and it can be something as, and we'll keep it as simple numbers, $50 a month. Now I'm not saying that that's what she charges. You'll have to reach out to, uh, to them, call the clinic, let, you know, see, see, um, what the payment membership, I guess it consists of. Um, but in some cases, some of these might be charging like $50 a month, a hundred dollars a month. And what that means is that you pay that Instead of like going through insurance, you pay that to the clinic, to the doctor, and then you have direct primary care, DPC, which is exactly what it, it is, right, um, to your doctor. So instead of the visit being seven minutes, you can be there for 30 minutes or you can be there for 40 minutes or whatever the case may be. You can text your doctor. You can call your doctor. You have that 
direct as access to your care. Um, so it, it was just really interesting to learn more about this because I had no idea. And as a 28 year old woman, I'm always trying to figure out like, who can I get to be my doctor? It's just so hard to get around all that system, which again, we talk more about. That's Milo, by the way, if you heard his leash, he's right here trying to be, I put him in place. He has a place that he needs to be in. This little effort just got out of there. But anyways, please check out this episode. It's so interesting. And then if you definitely, if, if you'd like to schedule an appointment with Archway Family Med, if you're in, in the Houston area and you'd be interested in this, um, you can find them on Instagram at Archway Family Med, or you can find their website at www.archwayfamilymed.com. Once again, this is Dr. Cindy Davashi, an amazing, amazing woman. I'm so honored to have had a doctor on my podcast. Um, yeah, that's fucking dope, man. That's, that's amazing. So I hope y'all enjoy this episode. Get some coffee, get some energy drink. I need it. So I'll be doing that and have a happy Thursday, y'all. Bye. Now I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Hi. Awesome. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Oh snap! I'm I'm good. Sorry. I'm just like changing my microphone. Can you hear me better? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's very clear. Okay. Can good. you hear me? I I'm using the AirPods. I don't actually know the quality of the microphone on these. No, you're fine. I can hear you good. Oh, nice. Yes. Okay. Um. So I changed. I ended up changing um places because I usually record in the living room so our the way our place is set up it's like a living room I don't know there's like a word for it but the living room and the kitchen are like one big space yeah um and I also have my work area in there and then I record from there but we have a puppy and he's been acting up and I'm like you know what I can't record he's gonna he's gonna be <laughs> on the background plus my partner's doing homework right now so I'm like yeah oh, no. I'm just gonna be in the closet so I'm in the closet <laughs> <laughs> you know, the acoustics yeah. are probably good I, you know probably better than people probably go to the bathroom but that probably echoes too much no yes the bathroom will echo I, I haven't tried it but I've always heard that the closet <laughs> the is the best stop. yes it's the best way to go and I'm like oh, I just I wish I had a place where I could record yeah where I used to live I had an extra yeah. spare bedroom mm-hmm. um and here I don't. It's just the living again. It's like that big space, no walls. Uh, I think efficiency studio. Yeah. Efficiency. Yeah, like a kind it. of studio. But yeah. and then we have our bedroom that's separate. But even then, I don't want to mm. like record. I don't know. It's just yeah, yeah. That's it's a whole nice thing. Bedroom, little space. Okay, uh, yes, I, great. I, yes, in the I, closet. I know, right? <laughs> so, and I also have this mic, which makes me sound amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, yeah, yeah. all that to say that we're here. <laughs> We're going to make it work. Yeah. Cool. Sounds good. Yes. I'm How are you excited. doing today? Good. Good. Yeah. I've just been, I've had a very chill day. My daughter is sick, so that's kind of preoccupied my day today. Oh, <laughs> I, is she your only child? I have two. Okay. Yeah, she's my older, my oldest, she's four. Yeah. Oh, so you have a six-year-old, six-year-old and a four-year-old? Uh, No, I have a four-year-old and a, um. well, I guess he's almost 11 months old. 
baby. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Oh my god. I guess he's not teeny anymore. Actually, he's almost a year old, but he's still teeny to me. No. Yes. That's a baby. <laughs> I mean, a a four year old, six year. I still. I'm like, you're a baby. Yeah, they're still babies to me too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they. My luckily, my husband, he's managing them currently. Okay. So are you yeah. in um at home right now or in your office? Um, I'm in my home office. Okay. So nice. I do a lot of my work from my home office, but uh, I have an actual office as well further. Yeah. Is that the office in Pasadena? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And are you from Houston? Um, so I actually grew up in San Antonio. Um, okay, until nice. Until high school. And then I actually moved to Houston for undergrad. I went to Rice. And then I left Houston for a while. Oh, shit. I actually didn't think I would ever come back to Houston. And then here I am again. And I love it. I mean, I love Houston. It's like I was made for Houston. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. I tell that to people all the time. I was in Houston. And, and then I left Houston for a little bit. And then I came back. And I'm like, I fucking love Houston. I'm not leaving yeah. again. Yeah. There's just too much good stuff here. Absolutely. Everything, the people, the food. Yeah. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. Traffic has gotten worse over the years because there's yeah. so much freaking construction all the time. But I absolutely love Houston. Wouldn't trade it for another place. Oh, my God. So, wait, tell me, Rice University, for those of you, by the way, we're recording yeah, already. I so. Yes, yes. I, I'm like, fuck it. Let's just do it. Um, I'm very, <laughs> like, as I told you, just go with the flow conversation. Yeah. Um, so yeah so those of you that are listening rice is like the harvard of the south i've always i've you know have it everyone that i know that is not from houston or texas they're like oh yeah rice is like the harvard of the south um so i'm curious what did you study at rice (laughs) um i studied so it's an interdisciplinary major it's called cognitive science so it actually didn't fall within any one specific department um, I took classes from really, you can think of it as like a major that studies both the brain and the mind and how they play a role together. So we took classes from um, neuroscience, psychology, but then also computer science, which I hated, linguistics and psychology. So it was those five fields that we kind of uh, drew the, the major from. Which one did you gravitate yeah. to the most? Definitely neuroscience. And okay. I really liked linguistics. I don't know if I don't know if I told you the first time we talked. I really thought I was going to be an English major when I was first mm. going to college. So I I I love the written word, and I thought I was going to be a writer or be an editor or something like that. Um, so it was cool to still kind of keep that aspect in my major, and I just found myself leaning more and more towards science. And I didn't realize how much I liked science. I also was really against, not against, but I didn't want to do kind of the traditional pre-med major in biology, which is what most pre-meds will do, Mm -hmm. because it just seemed boring. I'm like, I'm going to be studying basically that stuff for the rest of my life. Why would I spend my four awesome years here doing that? I'm going to, I'm going to get there. I mean, I still had to take those classes, but you know, I didn't want to focus on it. No, wait. And so I guess educate me. Linguistics yeah. is the study of languages? Of language. Of language. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So 
the way it it was set up in my major, the classes that we took was, uh, I guess, more of the study of how we develop language, how language influences, you know, the way we think. Um, and then there was a few courses where we literally studied like phonemes, the, the, the structure of sounds that carry across all languages and yeah, the phonetics. Think, yeah. There's, there's like this, uh, there's this thing called, I mean, people probably know, maybe they don't, I didn't know the international phonetic alphabet, mm. which contains every sound that every language will use so that you can, if you know, if you know how to write in the mm-hmm. international phonetic IPA, mm-hmm. then you could pronounce well, you should be able to pronounce any word in any language. And I mean, any like tribal languages, romance languages, whatever it may be. Did you also mm-hmm. study eras like the language in the medieval times versus the, uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> no, not really. You know, it's funny. I always never, <laughs> never really liked reading books where they kind of use the language of older era okay, uh-huh i don't know i don't know why i just was like can we speak today's language and <laughs> pretend we're in the past i don't know it's like another layer of comprehension you had to do wait so about. does that mean that you have to be good at accents no i don't i i i think when you take these classes you learn just the sounds you learn how to how to produce the sounds Okay. But I wouldn't necessarily say. Honestly, it was not the focus of my major. You had to kind of pick a tract within cognitive science, and I, I picked neuroscience. So that's kind of where I, I took more of those classes. Whereas I, linguistics was cool, but I only took what was kind of needed to satisfy. Okay. Very complicated. No, I love it. <laughs> I mean, cognitive science, I feel like it just encompasses so much. I think about every time someone says, cognitive something I think about counseling and therapy mm-hmm. I mean those are great fields that you could go out of it if people are like what do you major or what do you enter into with that degree like a lot of things I mean those are kind of the degrees that are harder to have like a strict path mm-hmm. and say oh yeah they obviously they took this you know you majored in business what are you going to go into probably going to go into business cognitive science is like you really could take it any way you could be someone who's straight about you know, linguistics and study of language and maybe you just travel and you study different cultures or maybe you're a therapist because you've kind of understood how the mind works and how, you know, like trauma to the brain can play a role in, you know, your mental health. That's me just moving into the medical sense of things. (laughs) No, I get it. I just, I think back to my college um journey and I was like man I wish I could go back to college and redo those four years don't get me wrong I loved college I went to the University of Houston so I'm I wasn't born in Houston um but I definitely grew up in Houston I love Houston like I said so I went to U of H um and -hmm. then I went to the business school and I went to the business school because my mom is a businesswoman I was always surrounded by like business minds and like Mm -hmm. entrepreneurial minds my my uncle my my aunt aunts um and I was just kind of like well I guess I need to go into business but that was never something I thought I wanted to I don't know even now to this day I like things that 
call my attention are just like therapy and counseling and like cultures and or audio journaling journalism you know stuff like that that now that as a 20 year old 28 year old I'm like Mm -hmm. fuck if I could have gone back and like know what I know now about myself I definitely wouldn't have gone into business but hey everything worked out and it's at the end and I'm where I'm at skills yeah the skills you learned there I mean they're making you what you are today I mean you probably wouldn't have gone even into being a podcaster if you didn't feel confident in I mean god starting a podcast to me sounds incredibly (laughs) difficult (laughs) I think you have to have a certain drive to do that because it's it's a lot it's a lot of I think it's a lot of unknown yeah and creativity and crafting your Mm -hmm. message I don't know that just seems no it is it is a lot of unknown Uh, when I started I and again, to listeners, you're probably like, oh, shit, started to set the story over and over. But it's very true. <laughs> like, I knew I wanted to start a podcast in 2019, like the height of the epidemic. Um, and I was like, I bought the microphone. I bought the headset. I bought everything. I had everything. And I was mm-hmm. just so terrified of the what ifs. I was so terrified of the failure. I was so terrified of just to start. And yeah. I didn't until... 2022 which is last year I was talking to somebody um and she is a psychologist and she was telling me about her podcast and she was telling me about you know how uh successful it's been and how she does it and what she uses and she told me she was like do it just do it just just do that one episode and I was like I don't know like she like set this fire in me and yeah I but like I took out the microphone, took out the headset, like dusted it off. It was it was at my mom's house and I had already moved out. So <laughs> I needed to go back and get it. And then I just did the trailer and I did an episode and I just put it out. And I was like, oh, my God, what the hell did I just do? <laughs> what am I doing? But I'm here. Yes. Yeah, I think the hardest yeah. step is the first step. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's awesome. Diving into <laughs> Anything that's new is it's very scary, but you know, if you don't do it now, when when are you ever going to do it? No, oh, absolutely. So after cognitive, uh, what was it? Cognitive research. Cognitive science. Cognitive, cognitive science. science. Yeah. After that, rice. It took mm-hmm. you where? Where did you go next? So I actually applied to medical school my senior year of undergrad and did not get in, which shattered my world. I was like, wait, what? People don't get in. How did this happen? And I was kind of like, yeah, what, what next? What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Um, and so I had two different routes in mind. I was either going to pursue a master's degree where, so I knew I wanted to keep going to school, mm-hmm. school, but I, I was going to do a master's Same. <laughs> Who doesn't love learning? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was just telling my girlfriend that she was like, "How are you so good at this?" I'm like, "I I love this. It just comes so natural to me. How to write an essay? Oh, I love it." <laughs> oh gosh, I love writing. Yeah, I think it's funny. I'm using my computer right now. It's extra backlight because it's really oh no, dark. you're good. Um, so so I was gonna do either a master's that would um help me get into medical school. Okay. Or I was just going to commit to a different direction. And so I applied to kind of both things, both types of programs. Mm-hmm. And I gotten into different types of programs 
And I was at a point where I was between, I could go get a master's in London in neurosciences. Oh, it shit. was there, they accepted me. And I was like, well, I like moved to London. This is kind of fun. I mean, it, I was really kind of excited. And everyone I talked to said, yeah, do the London thing. When else are you going to ever do this? Yeah. But the other option was I could do this master's in Fort Worth that's kind of designed to help people kind of bolster their application to get into medical school. And mm. I just knew that was my goal. I mean, that was my ultimate goal. I mean, it would be fun to go to London and do this master's in neuroscience. But where was that going to take me? And I think that was probably the first time I realized every decision I've kind of made in my career developing was it it had to be made with the intention of what's going to come next mm. what's the next step and probably to the disappointment to a lot of people you know just the idea of going to London I said oh, I want to just go to Fort Worth <laughs> I think I just want to do this thing that's going to help me get a medical school because that's that's really what I want to do I mean that's yeah. what's exciting and thank god I did that's where I met my husband <laughs> so, wow yeah um, and I mean, it also was a great program. It's where, where I met, you know, some of my best friends. And I think it did help my application because clearly yeah. in the end, I did get into medical school. Um, and uh, it, was, it was good. It was a one-year program. Good experience. And then after that, I, see, I, I bounced all over Texas. I got a job actually in Galveston working at UTMB. Okay. Um, in a research division again this is to try to help build my application and then from there is when I went into medical school um, I went to Texas A&M uh, in College Station Brian College Station and then I did part of my medical school in Temple Texas so when I tell you I've lived all over Texas I've truly I, I okay maybe not um, West Texas but Central I've hit yeah so um, was in Brian College Station a little bit in Temple and then uh, came back to Galveston, which is where I did my uh, family medicine residency. And then now here. <laughs> How was the second go around? How was the second application? Were you like, hey, if, I, if like this is it, I need to get in. I'm putting sweat, tears, everything into this. Or did you go into it with like, fuck it. If I don't get into it, then I'm going to, I don't know. I'm going to be a chef or so. I don't know. What, yeah. like, what was the mindset? Man, it wasn't even the second application. There were three applications that it took to get into medical school. Yeah. So my second time around was, um, I think, gosh, I can't remember. Um, I didn't apply exact the year right after I applied the first time. I think I waited another year. That was probably the the most difficult application to, or I guess rejection is to knock it in after a second time around because that's the time where you're like man what am I doing is yeah. this worth all the effort yes and the tears mm -hmm. and I did consider like at that point I was like maybe I just, I'm just not made for medical school I mean maybe there's a reason I'm not getting in they don't see that I'm prepared or maybe I'm not a good fit I don't know yeah and I considered you know I tried to consider what else I really strongly considered um becoming a physician assistant Mm -hmm. uh, going to PA school because to me it was the most similar to um, an MD but actually I think it was, it was my parents probably in discussion they were just like I mean you want to be 
a doctor so bad. I mean, we see it. You, you should just try one more time, which was so hard to, to, it just, it takes so much out of you mm-hmm. emotionally to go through that process. I don't know why. I mean, I know why it's this difficult, but um, anyway, it was, it was uh, a journey. And I remember getting my first interview invite. I was bringing, I was in Gallatin and I was bringing my bike into the store to get it fixed. And I'm just like looking at my email while the guy was ringing me up and I get that email that I got an interview invite and I was like blown away. I couldn't talk. The guy was asking me questions and I couldn't stop smiling. And I was like, uh, 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 I'm sorry, I just got an interview to medical school. He probably like didn't even care. I was like, I, I can't think right now. Should I just step up? Yeah. And I think that joy that I yeah. felt really solidified. Yeah, this was the right decision. I mean, it, it, it brought me so much happiness to, you know, and then later when I got actually into medical school, which was a whole other level of joy, um, it, I guess, made those moments worth it. It really taught me that, I guess, the whole application process, I, I learned how to look at myself and say, okay, I know that I can do X, Y, and Z. What can't I do? And how can I work on that? And how can I make it better? So I didn't have, for example, I didn't have a lot of um, higher level science courses because I think I did cognitive science. Okay. Um, and I just didn't really pursue the higher level sciences when I was an undergrad. So I think doing the master's helped that. Then I look back and I said, you know, I really didn't do a lot of um, research or even community outreach. And so, I don't know, I think it, it taught me that one, you know, when a door closes, another door opens. Truly in my life, that has been the case is when I get hit with a no, a more amazing yes comes out of it. And so I've really stopped worrying about when things don't go the way I want to, because I say, you know, there's a reason and something's coming down the road. That's going to be better. Um, I felt like I really grew through that process. And when I finally did enter medical school, I felt this kind of serenity or this peace when I was at school that I didn't quite see among some of my peers that were just, they just stressed and they're so panicked and everything was almost like life or death, every test, every exam, every number score, Mm. where I was just like, you know what, I'm just happy to be here. I'm going to learn. I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to, you know, gain as much knowledge as I can. And I'm going to do me. And that's all I can do. I can't do any better than that. And I was happy with that. And I felt like I had a much more joyful medical school experience that I don't think I would have lived through medical school that way if I had gotten in the first time I applied, because Mm. I don't think I was mentally prepared. And I'm like, maybe those sufficient people do know what they're doing when they tell you no. Maybe they they get a sense. (laughs) I was so angry at them at one point, but yeah, you know, thank you, people, whoever you are. Yeah, thank you. I get that. I feel like even whenever you're talking about, you know, the other people, your peers and just kind of having it be a life or death situation, every single thing, every quiz, every answer, every raising of the hand. And for you, it was like, I already went through the worst. Like the worst was not being here. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, I already went through the worst. Exactly. And you went through it twice. Yeah. Yeah. And for you, it's like the fact that I'm here, I'm grateful that I'm here and I don't know about you, but I have a big, I mean, I believe in like the power of possi- positivity 
the power mm-hmm. of like, hey, everything's going to work itself out. And if it doesn't, you will be okay. I truly mm-hmm. believe in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't yes. know if it's something that like I just have to tell myself and to make myself think that way. Um, but you did it. Like you got to that point and you were like, you know what? I'm fu- I'm here. I'm not going to yeah. fucking stress. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is there to stress about? I mean, I, I mean, I know what there is to stress about. But of course. Nice. But, but, you know, you just you kind of moderate, I guess, your stress levels. And yeah. you find what's worth stressing over, what's, what's actually worth your time and energy. Um, it shifted also probably how it went about medical school because I, I chose to not kind of be that student that would that was going to study 24 seven, seven days a week, nonstop. Mm. Cause I knew I would burn out. I treated medical school like a job. You know, when I was between the hours of whatever it was, eight to five, I would make it in my head, whether I was in class or not, that was when mm. I was in school studying outside of that. I did my own thing. You know, I would go, I was married at some point, some of the years when I was in medical school and I didn't mm. live with my husband. So I would, you know, drive to see him for a weekend and, I, that was my time away. I mean, every now and then you'd have a test that you really couldn't help. You had to study all night or whatever it might be. But I I tried the best that I could to separate the two things. And I Mm -hmm. think that carried over into residency as well, because you can become so absorbed or lost in residency. Mm -hmm. It's just a time suck of your life that if you don't separate, this is work. This is when I'm home. I think it's very easy to just have things cross over and you don't really want that. You say residency and I, again, I don't know if it's like a big, wait, what? No, yeah. People don't really know. (laughs) Yeah. I I didn't know shit about this. Right. I like, uh, however, I will tell you the only knowledge I know is Grey's Anatomy. That's fine. You know, I'm a big Grey's Anatomy fan. (laughs) I... Is it true what they say, like the residency and you're an intern and then you're a resident and then you're an attending? Like, is that like the way at the chain of command that, goes? That is, that is the flow. There is very much a chain of command, which is very silly to me. And certain specialties hold that chain of command uh, more seriously than others. Okay. But yeah, so the, the process of, of things is medical school is when you do the books, the textbook stuff, the exams, the first two years, okay. give or take. The next year, second two years of medical school is where you do rotations, where you're just kind of, you observe, you're learning, you're practicing with patients, but you really don't have a big impact in the patient care, which when medical, when you're in medical school, you feel like all the eyes are on you and there's so much pressure on you. And then once you get on the other side, you're like, wow, that was nothing compared to, I guess, what it is now. But so that's medical school. It's just the learning phase. You don't have any really direct impact on the patient care. Okay. When you graduate medical school, you are officially a doctor. You either have an MD or a DO degree, they're equivalent. Um, and then residency is when you do your training in your specialty, whatever it is that you pick. Okay. So I did family medicine. Um, so my specialty is very broad because it's mm-hmm. basically just general medicine. Um, but we, But family medicine covers kids, it's pediatrics, it's adults. It's also OBGYN. So, you know, we do um, a lot of training in um, labor and delivery and prenatal care. So we, we do like the whole spectrum of medicine outside of surgery. That's pretty much the one area that we don't do. 
So everyone's residency, so Grey's Anatomy is a surgical residency. Intern year is, is your first year, no matter what specialty you are. Intern and resident is equipped, it's actually the same thing. Intern year is just what you call the first year of residency. Okay. Yeah. So, and the joke is like interns are just, just terrible because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Medical school, you don't know what you're doing. That's not inaccurate to say. Yep. Um, it's very fun to watch Grey's Anatomy actually as a physician because, or maybe it's fun for me to just see, just, I don't know. It's like, wow, that would never really happen in the real world, but it's fun. It's fun to watch you play okay, it out so that way. That's, I'm curious about that because I'm watching it, right? So I used to follow this girl. I don't know if it was like on Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat, one of the social media platforms. Yeah. I used to follow her and she was a nurse and then she was like studying to be more beyond mm-hmm. a nurse. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what, right? But she would take a video of the Grey's Anatomy episode and she would like, this would never happen. And then they would say some sort of like a medical term and she's like, that does not even exist. Or they would be like, oh my God, they're bleeding out. And she's like, that would never. And I'm it's, I'm curious on the other end because I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. Like, do they get it right 80% of the time? 90% they, of the time? Like, so I will say the, the medicine side of things, I actually mm-hmm. read that Grey's Anatomy has... Um, actual physicians who help write their scripts as in they, oh, wow. they make sure that the, the medical content is accurate because they know some people watch these shows and almost use it as medical advice or to some degree, they, oh. they, they're trusting it as, or maybe that's their only source <laughs> of medical information, which is like, why are you using Grey's Anatomy as your, I mean, come on, I'm against Dr. Google, but that even Dr. Google might be a little bit better than Grey's Anatomy. But so a little bit of the medicine, the medicine, I would say, for the most part, is accurate, but okay. um, the way it plays out, whether it be by timeline, you know, the person walks in and they're immediately in the scan and then now they're doing this. It's like sometimes that is inaccurate. Okay. The most, okay. The most inaccurate thing about Grey's Anatomy is how involved the physicians are in every step of the way the patient. You would never have physicians sitting there watching them get their CT scan and then watching it upload in lifetime. Okay. You know, every scene of Grey's Anatomy is they're sitting there getting, give, the physician themselves are doing the scan. Yeah. That just doesn't happen. It's, there's a, there's another yeah, okay. tech team that will do that and they'll get the images later. <laughs> to me, that's very funny. Also, the ERs are very funny because in, obviously, in Grey's Anatomy, I don't know if you've been watching for the years that it's been on. <laughs> oh, I have. I, I am a hardcore Grey's Anatomy me fan. Too, me it. too. <laughs> Whatever the last 20 years it's been on. <gasps> and um, the ER is always so dramatic. And it's sad. It's actually sad when you think about it because in the real world ER, yes, there are those emergencies that come in, obviously, every now and then. Mm-hmm. But it's sad because in reality, the ER is so full of just, everyday people with very benign, very minor things that do not need to be seen in an ER. Because mm. for a lot of people, the ER is their only source of health care. Yeah. And so it's funny, I guess, to watch. But when you like step back and think about it, you're like, oh, it's so funny that all these medical shows make the ERs just all filled with emergencies. And that's all that they see. And you're like, oh, it's actually not that funny because the way it really is is that it's filled with these people who really should be able to see regular primary care doctors and they just can't. Yeah. So, yeah. 
That is so interesting. I'm thinking, I'm like, do I have something? Like, do I, is there a show that I can be like, yeah, that's not how shit works. Mm -hmm. I think I do if I were to watch it. Um, So I used to be a teacher. I was a teacher for like five years. Uh And there's this show called Abbott. I taught math. Mm -hmm. Middle school math. Let me just be very specific. Middle school math. (laughs) Um, So it was very, you know, those years. Hormones are flying crazy kids girl like boys girls oh. fighting oh. crying oh. yeah but I I taught the babies so the sixth graders and they're uh-huh. just like they love you they love you <laughs> and then at the end it's like they still love you but also I want to be cool so I don't want to talk to you anymore <laughs> but don't look at me okay? yeah Pretend but don't like look at don't me but don't call other. my name exactly <laughs> and I'm like oh god and then the next year it's like I have a boyfriend and then the next year which is eighth grade it's like oh my god I'm like going <laughs> through this yes 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 so um there's this show show called Abbott Elementary I think and it was nominated for like a Golden Globe or something apparently it's really good and my good friend um, who she, she's also a teacher. She was like, Hey, you need to watch it. Like, this is so relatable. And <laughs> I, I haven't watched it, but I'm just like, it's mm-hmm. crazy how there is something out there that I could, you I know, have ha- something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's funny. And maybe it draws those kind of people to watch the shows because it's relatable. And then, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it must be fun to be a, um, actors in those fields and you kind of learn like I read about how the actors in Grey's Anatomy I mean they just have no idea what they're saying yeah, and they have yes. to learn and practice how to pronounce a lot of these terms mm-hmm. and they say it so confidently and comfortably but yeah they're like I don't know what I'm talking about <laughs> yeah whenever they say whenever they come out with like this whole thing like cardiovascular Blah, blah 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 I'm like what is that even a thing I, I again I don't question it I don't google it I'm just like oh my god what's Meredith gonna do next yes yeah yeah Who's gonna so die what, <laughs> what took you from completing medical school still being in Texas into mm-hmm. direct primary care oh that's such a good question um my second year of residency so uh, family medicine is only three years. Mm-hmm. Um, residencies will scale between three to seven. Um, so family's three years. My second year, uh, a co-resident of mine told me about direct primary care, kind of just briefly just gave me the big picture of it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I think I just looked into it that day. I read um, a blog post about it. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like a a cool model to practice, practice primary care. And then I just found myself reading more and more and more. And I, I'm a big book person and, like I said, written word kind of person. So I found a book, flew through that book, like 400, 500 page book. I just flew through it in like two or three days because it was just, it was like everything that I was looking for in primary care. So direct primary care is when you whittle it down to the basics, it's just a payment model. So instead of um, using your insurance to pay for your medical visits and whatever it may be, you pay your primary care doctor a monthly membership fee, which is usually a low flat rate. Um, and that's it. And it's, that is, that is your membership with the, physician and what that gives you is 
the, the physician no longer is being bound by the rules and regulations and just admin crap that insurance puts physicians through. Um, and so now the, the physician is working for the patient because the patient is paying them. They're not working for an insurance company, whereas before the insurance company is the one who's paying them. Mm-hmm. So now you freed up your time as a physician because you don't have to do all that paperwork. You can actually put that time back into patient care. So like I give my patients 30 minutes to 60 minutes average um, for each appointment. There's no wait to see me. It's not like I've stacked my schedule to the rim so that it's impossible to see me where you're having to wait weeks or months, which I hear people wait months before they can see their primary care doctor. You should be able to see your primary care doctor when you're sick, not three months out. So, um, yeah, so when I read about this model, I said, it's, it's so simple. It just doesn't make sense to me why anyone would want to practice medicine any other way. It's affordable. It's sometimes the only option. So like I mentioned, those people who use the ER as their form of going to the doctor, mm-hmm. you go to the ER and you're hit with these hundreds and hundreds of dollars bills. First of all, you don't even know how much you're going to owe until weeks later. Mm-hmm. And you could have just had that problem solved if you had just seen your doctor and got it fixed that day and saved yourself hundreds of dollar bills, putting yourself in debt, hurting your credit score, like all these things that, that trickle down the line when just from like a single ER visit mm-hmm. can devastate a patient's financial health. So I just made that decision when I was in residency that I, I'm just going to go straight into it. And it's, it's not a well-known model. Um, there are several clinics in Houston that practice in this model, the direct primary care model, but it's still not very well-known. So a lot of time is spent kind of educating on, on the model itself and what it gives you. And really what you're getting is a truly direct relationship with your physician. You're getting one-on-one time, an appropriate amount of time to actually talk about your medical care You get access to your doctor so you can text them, you can email them, you can call them. You're not getting like stuck on a messaging phone line tree and push five and then push three and then push two and then leave a message. It's like, why did I just spend 15 minutes on the phone to not even talk to anyone? Or if you Mm -hmm. do get through to someone, it's someone who's not medically trained and they can't triage you. So it's just, it's just so simple. It's just, this is your doctor. Here's their phone number. Call them when you need them. And it's all included in that, that monthly membership fee. So um, the simplicity is just kind of crazy. People are like, well, what's the catch? <laughs> there's no catch. I mean, there's literally no catch. It's just, that is what it is. If you don't like it, then you just cancel. And there's no, at least in my clinic, there's no fee to cancel. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I decided. So that my question at that point was, do I join a DPC clinic or do I start my own? Mm. And I considered both avenues. Um, and I realized I just, I really wanted to do things my way. I think I had a vision. I had something, it, it was very exciting for me to think of starting something on my own and really making it my way. So I just decided I'm just going to open my own practice. I'm not going to join someone else's and it's going to take some time. And I was very fortunate, um, I guess, financially to be in a place where I could do that just with my spouse. However, it's 
there's any physicians out there, you can, you know, or anyone who's thinking about it, you can do it if you just plan, budget, you know, if it's, mm-hmm. if it's something that you're thinking about, it's possible, you just plan for it. Um, there's physicians, thousands of physicians in the country that are doing this model, and they're coming from all different start points, some out of residency, some out of five years of practice, some been practicing for 30 plus years, and they're just like, wow, I can't do this another day. And pretty cool, mm-hmm. pretty cool to see all these different positions kind of oh, disrupting healthcare, I think. Yeah, it honestly sounds like it. When I did my own research, um, mm-hmm. because when, I, again, you you told me this and I was like, direct primary care. And I mm-hmm. am, and I owned it when you and I first talked, that whole signing up for HMO, PPO, choosing which one you'd want to do. Well, uh, for me, I can't, you know how my girlfriend says, school just it doesn't come to me. That aspect yeah. of adulthood, it's so hard for me. I have to it's- call my sister. I have to be like, I sometimes have to be like, mom, what do you think about this? I have to, I have to call three more people so I mm-hmm. can figure out what plan to best choose for myself. And then when I read what? about direct primary care, it was like, as you mentioned, it's subscription that you pay yeah. a monthly fee and you have access to your doctor and you can have virtual visits. You can have in-person visits. You can mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. again, direct access to your doctor. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. what? Like, is this a new thing? Is this something that's just not, I don't know. I don't know. Is it, is it a lie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, it's common. People are just, a lot of people are skeptical because I think people have been so hurt by the current healthcare system oh, yeah. that everything is going to be scary and they, they don't want to get hurt again. And they want to put their trust in something. And it is hard to put your trust in a yeah. person, um, in a system. Um, you know, I, it's what you said that it's so hard to comprehend and it takes like several calls and conversations with other people that is so common. I mean, it it's why why is it this hard everyone wants access to healthcare why why are you why is the healthcare system so complicated and why is it so difficult for people to understand it just makes care worse and I should say like direct primary care is not a substitute for coverage and Mm -hmm. I say the word coverage because that can be insurance or it can be another form of coverage there are different things you can do to be covered for catastrophic events like I need surgery, I have cancer, I've had a major hospitalization. Coverage can be insurance, coverage could be a health sharing plan. Anyway, so you should have coverage of some sort to protect yourself if something bad happens. Mm -hmm. But direct primary care is going to be your doctor that you go to for probably 80 to 90% of your needs because a primary care doctor is trained to handle most things that people come up with and then they triage is this something that has now gotten so complex now you need to go to a specialist Mm. and I will say in the current system because primary care doctors are so overrun you only get maybe seven minutes seven to ten minutes with your primary care doctor in today's current system that a lot of the times the primary care doctors they don't have time to talk to you about what's going on so then they're just, okay, just go to the cardiologist. Okay, we'll just send you to the surgeon. They just send you to the specialist because they don't have time. They don't even have time to explore those things with you. But mm-hmm. if they had time to talk about it in detail, 
they probably could have handled it themselves. Or mm -hmm. maybe they could call the specialist and say, hey, what would you do here? And they, you know, the specialist tells them, oh, easy, you just start them on this and that. And then it's like, okay, you got the guidance from the specialist, but you've now saved that patient a whole visit to a specialist, a whole other copay or whatever, a whole other bill. It's just, it's so backwards, the current system. It's, it, it really tramples on primary care and mm -hmm. forces these doctors who are so well-trained and qualified to handle so much to just push everything out to specialists. And the specialists don't like it either. They don't want to see the everyday. Cardiologist doesn't want to manage hypertension. That's probably not why he went into cardiology. He probably went into cardiology to manage something much more complex to really look at your arrhythmias and look at these things that they receive training for. And yet people are sending the very simple things that a primary care doctor can handle because the physician just doesn't have time. It's like amazing what you can do when you give a physician time back to actually just talk to their patient. Yeah. Yeah. I think a big word that comes to mind as you're, as you're saying all of this is access. Mm -hmm. I think direct primary care makes access a lot easier, a lot efficient, a lot affordable, a big one, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. the system that we have now takes away access. Because I think about, again, access. If I want, it took me forever to figure out a primary care doctor for myself. Forever. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, mm -hmm. no, I'm not happy with this one. And, and, and a lot of it had to do with the way that they made me feel. I felt mm -hmm. like another number. It was just like, hey, what are you in here for? Da, da, da. Sometimes I wouldn't even talk to the doctor. Are you good? Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, I'm good, I guess. Am yeah. I, even though I knew something was not okay with me. And it took me forever. Yeah. And now I have found someone that I I, I like. I like yeah. and they fit within my my plan. They fit within it, all of that. Yeah. But I, it took me how old was I? I think I was like 26, 27, 26 year old woman to know like, okay, this is the, I, I shouldn't have taken that long after I was done yeah. with Pete's. I was just kind of like, I don't know who I jumped around. Mm -hmm. I would go to ER just because I didn't want to deal with the hassle of trying to find someone. Yeah. I would go to just yeah. a, a clinic, an emergency clinic. Yeah. So common. And it's sad. I mean, <sighs> it is. It's, it's a medicine used to be, I think, this way what what direct primary care is trying to change it to mm -hmm. where it's just yeah it's just your relationship with your doctor and there's no hundreds and thousands of questions and people in the way and decisions or not decisions but just um i don't know i don't even know how to phrase it but um you know you mentioned obstacles yeah obstacles. so many it's yeah just, why are there so many hoops to jump through and small fine print to read and I don't know. Um, the affordable thing is the other huge part of it because though everyone should have coverage, some people can't afford that any kind of insurance or whatever it may be for coverage. Mm -hmm. So paying this low monthly fee. So for example, my clinic, it's a hundred dollars for adults and it's $50 for kids. So some people can't pay, you know, the $500, $800 every month at an insurance request, but they could pay $100. They could pay $50. And then to have direct access to be able to, you know, see your doctor when you need, just call them, text them, get the information you need, not have to wait, is provide so much more value 
mm-hmm. than having that $800 insurance plan that doesn't do much for them because they're still having to wait weeks to see their doctor. And then when they see their doctor, like you said, they have, mm-hmm. you know, a two word conversation with them. So yeah, for the uninsured population, this is an awesome alternative to get truly high quality care and not mm-hmm. rely on urgent cares and ERs to be there to be their doctor where there is zero continuity of care. And that's what's important about the doctor patient relationship is there needs to be a continuity of care because that person's going to learn who you are, know what you like, okay. know what you respond to. In an yeah. ER, you get someone different every time. How is how are they going to know anything about you they're just making decisions based off of that one snapshot in time Mm -hmm. decisions are much better more thorough and um you're i think you would get more personalized care when you're with someone that you've Mm -hmm. been seeing they know you well they know your history they know everything Mm -hmm. you're not having to jump you know retell your story every single time you see the doctor i think about as as you're saying this, another thing that comes to mind is when was the biggest point in my life of when I was so lost? And I think it started mm-hmm. when I was in college because that's whenever I stopped going to the doctor under, mm-hmm. you know, the pediatric yeah. um, doctor. And that's when I started to or I needed to think about or and my mom would often say you need to go to the doctor you need to get a physical you need to do this and that's when I kind of took a step back and I was like I don't know who to go to I don't know what I'm supposed to do it's so overwhelming you're in college and you're like wait I'm a I'm an adult now like Mm -hmm. why can't I just go back to my regular doctor and they're like well you're not a kid anymore you're not an 18 (laughs) the 15 a 10 year old you know and I was like holy shit like what am I supposed to do now and I think that was just a very profound moment in my life where I was like, I guess for now I'm just going to go to the ER or for now I'm going to go to this like $30 a day clinic or for now. And again, mm-hmm. as a 21 year old, you're like, fuck it. I don't care. I'm yeah. just going to get it yeah. quick. But then later on that you don't build a foundation because then again, you're a 30 year old and you're like, I have back pains and I don't have anyone that knows me that knows my medical history that I've been with mm-hmm. for the past 10 years. And so you have to start with someone new. And it's again, this is the whole cycle of it. So yeah. this is something that I didn't, and I'm sure a lot of people don't know. So how can people f- learn more about direct primary care in their city or in their state? Yeah. So there's actually, there's a few websites that you can refer to. Um, there is one website called uh, DPC Frontier. And they actually mm-hmm. have a very thorough mapper. I, I don't, there's a few mappers out there, but this one's probably the most detail, detailed mapper where most people um, will list their practices. And you just search by state and it'll, boom, have a list of all the direct primary care clinics in your state. You can zoom into your city. Um, there's some practices that are listed as pure DPC and some practices that are listed as hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, pure DPCs are people who, just don't bill insurance at all. So like my clinics, it's pure DPC. Hybrids are practices that are usually transitioning or or they're doing both or they just want to stay at doing both. So they'll bill insurance for some people and then they'll do the membership. I think it's kind of strange to be a hybrid. Um, the other one, it's called I'm Direct Care. I'm trying to... So DPC Frontier. DPC Frontier. Um, oh no, I think it's called DPC Nation. Uh, yeah, dpcnation.org, I think, is another really good website that just 
just lays it out what is DTC. It's just like the essentials. It's not so much a page to find one in your city or your state. I would say DPC Frontier is, is better. But dpcnation.org is really just to understand the the model itself. I think about this yeah. more for also my mom because I know a lot of people. And again, I come from a family that is immigrants and they're afraid of like getting medical insurance because for whatever reason it's just that fear um and I remember my mom growing up she would be like I I, I'm not gonna go to the doctor or I don't want to go to the doctor because it's gonna be so much I don't have insurance and so I feel like this is gonna be a a good option for um people who just are going through their options that there are other things out there and that they don't have to feel like ashamed that they don't have insurance some people like won't yes. go because they just don't want to be treated differently because yeah. they don't have insurance which I wish I could say that wasn't the case there's definitely instances where I've seen people do treat patients differently when they hear that they don't have insurance and it's so sad to me because insurance does not equal health care okay insurance is just a coverage plan so why would it, it, it to me it's just it's a sad reality and i think with hopefully with more education and more people understanding first of all understanding how insurance functions so i this is kind of an aside on my i have an instagram account for my clinic um and i've recently kind of shifted into talking more about explaining yeah what the current healthcare system actually is and and the details of it and as a patient to understand why your med- medicines cost so much, how can mm-hmm. you save on your medications? Why does your insurance premium keep going up? Like little things like that. Mm-hmm. Because if you understood a little bit more about how health insurance works, one, you would probably dislike it more than you most people already do. Um, but also you would see that there are alternatives, that there are other ways to be covered or there are other ways to pay for things or everything doesn't have to be so scary and expensive because there are people out there doing good things and trying to get patients what they need, Yeah. but it's hidden. It's just like hiding. Direct primary care doctors are great for that. That's like what we do is, is help patients navigate the healthcare system and find, find those, you know, hidden programs and the, hidden secrets that really shouldn't be secrets. They should just be out there, but it is what it is. There's no transparency in the current healthcare system. And that's what GPC doctors want to do is they just want to, you know, shine the light on all these good things that are out there and help patients function in the system that we do have. And hopefully along the way, change the system yeah. a little bit. Again, and I think about you're already paying for subscriptions for everything else. Yeah. You're paying for, I hear not a new model. now. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not, yeah, it's not. nothing that you're like, I should, I should be sketchy about. You do that with Netflix, like social streamings. Mm-hmm. You do that with your food, Uber Eats. Apparently there's not, a, again, like a subscription for Uber Eats. There's the one for, yeah. Like now there's one for medical field and come on, get on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, nothing new. Something you've probably done a million times. But I didn't know that. And I'm sure listeners are going to be like, I didn't know that there was something out there that I could yeah. pay a subscription for and go see a doctor. But for our listeners, um, Dr. Cindy Defashi has a uh, clinic, Archway Clinic, which is in Pasadena. 
And you can also find uh, them on their social account or Instagram account at mm-hmm. Archway it. Family Med. Archway Family Med. Med. Mm-hmm. Archway Family Med. Med. Let me go ahead and I'll Which type is that. Also my website is archwayfamilymed.com. Yes. I'll include that in the link below. The Dr. Dapashi. It, it still takes me a minute to be like, because I, I see the <laughs> Dapashi. I think Dapashi, but it's Dapashi. I've gotten a lot of variations. <laughs> I mean, you would know because of linguistics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard one. I had, so that's my married name. Mm-hmm. My, my maiden name is Roman, which people would often just pronounce Roman, which, you know, so I'm used to kind of correcting people. I thought Roman or Roman, I should say, was hard to pronounce. But yeah, when I became Dapashi, <laughs> not another level. Right? It's not hard. <laughs> if they can pronounce, uh, what is it? The Game of Thrones. Fuck, oh, is it called? Daenerys Targaryen? Or, yes. Or Targaryen. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If people can pronounce that, I can pronounce it. I can pronounce Dapashi. It's just because I see, again, what you see, it's not what it, the way it sounds. Yeah, yeah, and look, exactly. it all, it circles back. Yeah. <laughs> Language. <laughs> all back to the beginning. I know. But let's go ahead and oops. Um, go into our lightning round of questions. Let me pull yeah. them up. Yeah. So let me know whenever you're you're ready. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Perfect. So the first question in one word, success to me means success to me means joy. Think that's gonna hold true with any form of success, you know, financial success, career success, relationship success. If those things, if those things are not bringing you joy, I don't know. To me, I mean, I guess I didn't really have to explain my answer, but <laughs> it, it's pretty self-explanatory. Success is joy. The second one, I want to continue learning about. Oh. And this is so hard because I want to learn about everything. Um, I want to continue learning about more about the intricate details of how our healthcare system mm. functions just to educate patients and kind of simplify that information. I love that. Yeah. Number three, connection equals... Connection equals trust. I think, uh, yeah, we kind of touched on that. How can you connect with anyone if you don't trust them? Mm -hmm. That's going to be with your doctor. Again, all these things, I think with the joys, I think about it with your career, you think about it with your family, your friends. You're never really going to connect with a person until you trust them and allow yourself to be a little bit vulnerable, because that's really how we connect, I think, with people is is a little bit of vulnerability. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Number four, the funniest person I know is? Is. Oh, I'm going to say my answer in. He's going to be so smug and happy about it because I like to joke that he's not funny, but it's my <laughs> husband. <laughs> he is. He is so funny. He, I'm so thankful that he is so funny because he makes life very joyful for me. 
I love that. How long have you been together? Uh, let's see, about five years. Yeah, a little over five years. The close second though would be my my daughter, my four year old. She's quite funny. She's trying to she is a a little mini mini version of my husband. So, (laughs) oh, I love that. And finally, which is my favorite question, a rare gem in my life is. I thought hard about this question. The rare gem would probably be my mom Mm. because, you know, I, I am so uh, career focused and, and, you know, for the last 10 plus years, I've just been so deep in my journey as a professional. But when I became a mom myself, it was like nothing I was prepared for. I mean, I was prepared for the the little things of being a mom, but like the 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 I don't know, I don't have words for it. The unspoken um, beauty in being a mom, I was not prepared for. And it made me just look back at my mom and love her so much more to see how she did that with four kids coming to a country that she didn't even speak. My parents are from Ecuador, that she, you know, her she barely knew any English. Mm-hmm. At some points was living in cities or states where no one spoke English, or excuse mm-hmm. me, no one spoke Spanish. And she just navigated all those things. I mean, she had my dad, but there's a lot of times where she's having to figure things out on her own because he was working. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, and it's amazing to me. I'm like, man, how did you do that with four kids and, yeah. you know, in a totally new place? And, like, I think about patients when they're trying to navigate the healthcare system. The same thing. It's like she's navigating a whole country. Mm-hmm. She has my dad there, but still there's a lot that she's having to do on her own and she's so good at it. And she's just, she's just awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I think my mom always told me too, when I grew up, she would always, when I grew up, I would understand what it's like to be a mom. And I was like, yeah, yeah. mom. Okay. But yeah, really. <laughs> but it's now true. you get it. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And mom, moms are the greatest. They are. They are the greatest. I think after the here, I'm going to text my mom. yeah you you like made me think about my mom so well cindy it's been a it's been a blast um i've learned a lot i'm glad i i I had very much kind of revisiting things i hadn't thought about in a long time yeah talking about medical school is like even though it wasn't that too long ago it's it's kind of fun to think about and i love when i meet someone else who watches Grey's anatomy as much as i do oh i Freaking! I loved. I, I I haven't seen the new season where Meredith leaves. Um, oh yeah. I watch. I watch it on Netflix. I don't watch it on ABC, like on live TV, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So I'm waiting for that season, and this episode has been a blast. I'm gonna go ahead for oh. the listeners. You will receive all the links, all the information, um, on how you can find direct primary care. Um, and then also check out the archway clinic which is on social media on at archway clinic med uh archway family med archway family med yes and i'll mm-hmm. have it all correct whenever i put in those <laughs> notes <laughs> no worries. no worries 
Yes. Well, thank you again. Um, thank and you. We'll... Thank you, Jen, so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be here talking to you. No, absolutely. Fun. The honor is all mine. Well, I hope you have a good night. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye. <laughs>